Radio Adventures, just kind of sitting here to the guy, listening to the guys on 3148, uh, listening to them do their thing. They're a bunch of good fellas. Uh, I wish I could get my stuff set up where I could uh, meet more radio operators on DMR, but it's just going to take a little time. And as you can tell, we're not in the car this time. Uh, here in a couple days, we're going to go round up our our woman and bring her on home. She had a rough go. She sure did. Uh, in the hospital. Uh, had a stroke. And we thought we were going to lose her, but thank you, thank you, thank you. It turns out that was not the case. Alrighty. Uh, this time, I think... Well, I'm kind of listening to the radio and sitting here working on the website as well. If any of you guys are uh, interested in helping out with that, um, I could use a little help, but that's okay. Uh, for right now, I'm going to go back in there and do the best I can to straighten it out because there's just a few little things. It's working like it's supposed to. Uh, the website is rfpodcast.info, www dot rfpodcast.info and y'all go over there and, and take a look. Alright. So, as I've been trying to clean up the house and all this other stuff, anticipating the arrival back home of my, my beloved, I've been sitting around watching a few videos here and there and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And one of the things I found out is that you either got guys that are really good at making videos on YouTube about amateur radio, or you got guys that when you watch them, it's like watching grass grow. There's one guy over in England, I mean, he got good information, but the problem is his presentation is lacking, and because he does have uh, a fairly heavy accent, English accent, uh, my old ears have a hard time keeping up with it. One thing I do find is the norm across the board is that at least every person I have watched their videos, even if they have outstanding production quality, and I'm talking about even all the way up to 
the folks over at Bridgecom who make my my radio, the uh, uh, Anytone, what is that, a D878, I think it is, UV. And, I mean, it's an outstanding radio. Uh, the programming software, eh, uh, there's a learning curve. Ah, oh, there they are. And, uh, coupled with that is the fact that these guys, they work with that kind of stuff all the time. And even, well, it's not just the guys at Bridgecom. It's all these guys that are doing amateur radio videos over on YouTube. And that is, they expect that you know enough of the basics of what they're doing the video on that they can just zip on through it and not back up and give you some backstory. Uh, case in point, case in point, uh, writing a code plug for this particular radio I have. I wonder why it keeps saying missed call. Might have to figure that one out. Um, the reason that uh, I say this is because I was watching a video made by the Bridgecom guys about um, programming a code plug. And the guy goes in there, and he jumps in, he says, okay, you do this, and you go in, you put this here, and this here, and this here, and then he jumps to the next thing, this here, this here, this here. You're not even familiar, and in my case, uh, you know, I know some of you newer guys, y'all might be more familiar with this type of programming software. I am not. Uh, I got out long enough ago that there were... There was programming software geared towards amateur radio operators for radio equipment, uh, amateur radio equipment. And consequently, they program differently. The uh, software is, setting up the software is different. Uh, in the case of, I don't know, in the amateur radio operator, you've got a spread, what looks like a spreadsheet. You put in frequency, offset, um, tone, that kind of stuff, and even in case of D-Star, which is a little more complicated, uh, you go ahead and put all that same stuff in, your offset and that kind of stuff, and then you add uh, who you're calling, where you're calling them from, and the gateway at that particular place. You know, say in the case of uh, NT5RN, which is one of those that are out here that's currently off the air, you know, in the case of calling somebody, you'd put their call sign in, then you'd put KT, uh, NT5RNB if you were using 440, and you would follow that up with NT5RNG, which would be the gateway. And for those of you who haven't done DMR, there's a little bit, or D-Star, there's a little basic D-Star for you. In the case of uh, DMR, it's the same but different. And there's so much extra stuff that you have to worry about also, uh, like um, tones and time slots and that kind of stuff. And I'm no stranger to time division multiplexing because uh, that's one of the modes that we had on our controllers years ago for HF. 
there wasn't a lot of guys. It didn't really catch on. There weren't a lot of guys using it, using it. But in the process, I learned about that, and it uh, kind of rolled over into using computer equipment for me. Even though I never had a job in that kind of deal, I mean, I'm pretty well versed in networking computers and that kind of stuff. I got my first computer when I was in junior high school. And any of you that have ever seen a picture of me, you would know how long ago that was. So, now that I've gone off on tangent, all these guys are, they assume, or seem to assume that you know something about what they're going to tell you about when they tell you. Uh, I watched uh, a lecture by a gentleman, oh doggone, I can't remember his name, Ed, Ed Wong, Egg Foo, Ed Foo, something, he's got a J-pole antenna that, he's an electrical engineer and he's created this dual band J-pole antenna that uh, seems to be superior to the ones that have come before, even though you have to supply your own PVC pipe to put it in. And that kind of stuff. And I can imagine a guy like that expecting radio operators to know about radio. So you can't really fault a guy like that. But then you turn around, you see these guys. There's one over here lives over here around Grapevine in my part of the world, uh, Grapevine, Texas. And he really seems to know his stuff. He appears to be a knowledgeable amateur radio operator. But even he skips over some of the basic stuff that, you know, to most people that work with something a lot, if you do it a lot, you think that everybody knows at least the basics of what you're talking about when you talk to them about it. So I've decided I'm going to start doing a few videos. At the moment, they're very basic. Uh, in fact, I went over to the YouTube channel and um, we've had a YouTube channel and we've had a Facebook group way back since probably around two 2010, which was about the time things were slowing down on resonant frequency. We probably did our last five or six episodes back around then. And we were trying to look for a new way to spice up the show over on the audio side. You'll find that I think the last show or the next to the last episode, and there will be more. I've already decided there's going to be more new fresh ones. But you will find in the current uh, archives that the last, I don't know, last show, next to last show, uh, I talked quite a bit about uh, amateur radio history in, in, that, in one or two of those episodes. Uh, I was taking some of, some of my information from a really fine book called 300 Meters and Down, which, um, which has a lot of information in it about the very early days of amateur radio in the United States and worldwide. I, I, I highly recommend y'all picking it up. So uh, we pulled out our camera, or uh, pulled out our phone, 
Luckily, things have advanced, and I have a fairly decent Android phone. And the video that comes off of it is really not that bad. The audio, the audio is pretty good as well. Uh, Y'all wouldn't know it from episode 13B because it was picking up a lot of noise in the in the truck as I was going to the hospital. But it does have pretty good video, and the audio is not real bad on it either. So I pulled out my phone one night, or uh, one afternoon, and did a little short video on my portable hotspot. I have two of the, uh, I guess they call them jumbo spots. There's one, the Pi, let's see, Raspberry Pi Zero with... Uh, uh, MMDVM hat, which runs on PyStar, and I guess just about everything runs on PyStar. I'm not seeing too much that doesn't. I think some of the older stuff, like the DVAPs and uh, that kind of stuff, probably run on a different software. But for the most part, everything I'm seeing is that it's uh, PyStar. And as I get more knowledgeable about these things, I will try to format them in an easy-to-digest form and get back with y'all on that. Uh, that may be one of the new episodes of Resonant Frequency. I prefer to do teaching and elmering on that one. This one's more of a uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of thing. So, I've got two of these hotspots, and I've been experimenting with different things where they're concerned. And I have one set up for DMR, and I have one set up for D-Star. Now, I understand that you can, in a perfect world, you can run D-Star and DMR off the same hotspot. Uh, the issue I've got with that is I also hear that sometimes if you're running both those modes on the same hotspot, occasionally they'll butt heads. And this early in the game, I really don't want to be button heads. You know, as far as one, you know, I'm having to use two radios anyway. So I try to keep things as uncomplicated as possible because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So I've got those. I have my DMR radio that uh, I'm quite proud of. Uh, it's a pretty good radio, construction-wise and that kind of stuff. I'm finally starting to work, learn the software, and I'll probably get with y'all on an easily, something easily digestible where that's concerned. I've already installed a screen, uh, a, a video recording, piece of video recording software for uh, my monitor, and that kind of stuff. And as we move along, we'll be in a position to do more stuff. So, um, the first video, like I was saying, I had plugged in the DMR hotspot and to a, uh, a small battery pack I bought, I don't know, six, seven years ago to charge my phone while I was at work because I was working in a car shop at the time where things were extremely slow on Saturdays. However, they required us to work uh, every other Saturday 
and sometimes every Saturday for a while. So after about nine or ten o'clock, we, me, and uh, one, a couple of the other techs would be sitting in the conference room playing with our phones. And I've just things like that. I know you have to keep them charged up, or they go bad. So I always try to keep stuff charged up like that. In fact, I've got a, a fairly high-end Bluetooth speaker sitting on my desk right now that's plugged in because the battery on it has finally failed, but I've had it probably eight or nine years. So I had the battery pack. I had my DMR uh, hotspot, my little black hotspot, and I had... Had the uh, Pi Star pretty much set up the way I like it. I'm on the Brandmeister network, so I was able to acquire, uh, or yeah, acquire an API key and set that up where I could create static talk groups or take the talk groups and make them static on the Pi Star, so I didn't have to key the radio up and then 15 minutes later have to key the radio up again just to be able to keep the channel open so I could hear it. So now we have the hotspot, we have the power supply, we have the radio. And when I came out of my stepson's apartment the other day, I said, you know what, what the heck? So I whipped out my camera and I hit go on the video and started rolling. Now y'all probably asking about the at, at this point y'all are probably asking well why don't you tell us where this video is and uh, okay I, right now I will tell you it is at now well, doggone it there we go right now it's at my I have it like I said I had it to YouTube channel it's at my YouTube channel which is KB5JBV can't find it that way, find it by my email address, kb5jbv at gmail.com, and you can go over and take a look at it there, or you can come over to the website, which is rfpodcast.info, I have it posted there, I also have it posted a couple places over at Facebook, and if I can find the right thing here, I can tell y'all what those are. I know that there's my personal page, which is actually Richard Bailey, um, and it's a guy in a black shirt with his glasses on, sitting there trying to look cool, and let's see, so, let's see, Facebook, oh, actually, Facebook is www.facebook.com stroke KB5JBV, it is my call sign. Um, there are also two groups. Like I said, I rediscovered the resonant frequency group, www.facebook.com stroke group stroke uh, resonant frequency, one word, all lowercase. And then there's another group we're using out here for uh, a purpose other than it was started for that I've fooled with here and there over over the last few years, and it's called D, uh, DFW Elmers. Now we're currently using this group for discussions about Pi Star, discussions about in, antennas, discussions about uh, other stuff. 
but one of the reasons we gathered all the guys up there that are there right now is because we're trying to start a club out here in Kaufman County. So now we've slid off into video, we've slid off into addresses, and I'll give them all again at the end if y'all want to try and get a pen out and write some of it down. So I pull out my camera and I get go to town. So I show my ugly mug for a few minutes, I show my radio, and I point out the stuff, and uh, something I forgot to add about the DMR hotspot, I have a, a little shelf that my monitor sits on, one of these little metal shelves, you see them in offices and stuff, and I went ahead and put some Velcro on the bottom of the hotspots and on the shelf, because at one point I was trying one of those really, really long handheld antennas on one of these hot spots and it kept falling over and when I would take it in the car it would keep falling over and I finally got tired of that and I was down at Home Depot for something and I can't remember what it was for those of y'all who don't have a Home Depot uh, it's kind of like Lowe's if you got Lowe's or um, uh, Ivy's or uh, some of these hardware places. It's basically a giant hardware store, but it's more uh, on a bigger scale. And while I was in there, I was looking for some plexiglass. Uh, you know, probably a pre-cut four or five foot, five inch square of plexiglass. Cause I was gonna stick me some Velcro on it and, st and stick the uh, hot spot to it. And that would disperse the weight so it wouldn't be falling over unless, of course, I was hanging corners really hard or some kind of mess like that. And I couldn't locate any. However, I went back, I found myself back in the uh, department where they had the moldings and wood dowels and stuff like that. And I looked down and there's a corner a corner piece, it's a trim piece, it's made out of MDF, and for you younger guys who don't know what MDF is, it's uh, like fake wood, kind of like particle board, but even more so, but it's heavy, it's dense, and the thing is probably about an inch tall, inch and a half tall, and then four inch, about four inches square. And I figured, you know what, that'd probably do the trick. So I bought one, cost me a whole $2, and brought it home, stuck my Velcro on, and I'm using that to stabilize the hot spot in the car at this time. So I did the video and put it over on YouTube. I've done quite a few other things. I've used the hot spot to do the 30-mile drive from my home to Presbyterian Hospital in, in uh, just a little north of downtown Dallas. So while the uh, medical thing's going on, uh, the hot spot I have put have put one of those longer antennas on it and extended my range here at the apartment complex. And best of all, we had a power outage not related to the hurricane. Even though about the same time the hurricane was causing problems over in Louisiana. And uh, we lost power for six hours. 
and I'll probably talk about that on a different RRA at some point, but the power was out for six hours. Well, some of you know and some of you don't that I've had, I've had, I've got about five professions behind me, so if I need work, I don't have a real hard time finding it. And one of those is uh, uh, private security. Um, I would say security guard, but I've never really guarded much. It was always been more about um, um, controlling out-of-hand guests. Let's put it that way. However, my card's still active, and when I moved in these apartments, I told the apartment manager that I would uh, kind of keep an eye on things, help keep an eye on things. They have a police officer that's here when he's off duty. However, he works nights. Uh, go figure. And while the power was out, I took my little hot spot and my little battery pack, which had a charge on it, and stuck them in my pocket and then took my handheld and clipped it on another pocket put my headlight on my little minor minor headlight makes me look a look like a giant one of the seven dwarfs and turned that bad boy on and out the door I went and I walked the property and I listened to the radio and I walked the property and I may have talked to a couple of guys I talked to regularly over on 3148 and that kind of stuff and uh, it dawned on me as I was out walking that in my home I have a piece of equipment left over from the automotive industry and when I got home I took a look at it and it's got four USB ports on it and that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? I'll probably find something else to talk about when it comes time for that. Let's talk about the power outage a little bit. Power was out for six hours, six and a half hours. And uh, one of the things I did to keep the power up on my equipment was I have a jump box, a jump starter box, whatever you want to call them. You know, the big, the big plastic box that's got batteries in it that you hook up to your, hook up to your battery on your car and start it when the battery's dead. Well, this one made by Schumacher, and I purchased it because my full-grown heavy-duty uh, jump box had decided to quit working after, I guess I had it about five years. $300 off the Mat Matco truck when it was new. And I needed something to be able to jump start cars with, so I ran down to Walmart and found, found this guy for 100 bucks and uh, went back and used it for a little while until I could get another one off of the truck. So it was over in the, mm, crap, okay, it was over in the uh, corner, it's been sitting there with the uh, extension cord plugged into it since we moved in the place back in February, and when I got back here from walking the property the first time, I went over and got it, and set it in a chair in the living room, and plugged in four USB cables, and turned it on. Well, I was able to recharge my phone, recharge my battery pack, or charge up uh, iPad that I had here uh, using 
thing first started, I sat here and watched a couple videos. And sat here and used that for a while. And then I went on back out the door again for a little bit. You know, mostly to get some fresh air. Not necessarily to roam the grounds again. Now, if you go over and look at the video, if you go over and look at the video, uh, you'll see on the front of this thing that it's got a 110 plug, a 12 volt plug, you know, like you stick one of those cigarette lighter adapters in or power point adapters in for you younger guys, four USB ports. And you can turn all that stuff on and off independently by a set of uh, switches on one side. So I had the USB running. And I was charging this stuff. And it was working out pretty well. In fact, I actually left the hotspot running on it and was charging the headlight on it. And left the iPad on it. For about three days after the uh, power outage was over and never got below 85% on the power for this uh, jump box. So that's one of those things that uh, you guys that have been around a while know and the newer guys will find out is that you'll end up with a lot of stuff laying around that you can use in case of an emergency, if you need to contact somebody, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I'm not even sure where we start, where we was going when we started on this. Oh yeah, website, videos, uh, DMR. Ah, we're back. So it comes down to guys talking way over people's heads because they know it so they expect everybody else to know it. I've run into this a lot. Uh, jobs that I've had where they were having to train me. Um, different situations where huh, holy crap. Uh, different situations where you know People were trying to teach me radio or computer or uh, how to work on cars more more than your average high school working on cars. You know, we all worked on cars when we were in when we were younger, or at least back when they, you could work on cars and that kind of stuff. And it's a have it's for some reason it's natural for people to go ahead and try and communicate with somebody on the level they're on even if that somebody knows absolutely nothing about what they're talking about. Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, for those of you that have in the past listened to it and or have listened to a few episodes here since we put it back on the, was able to get it back on the internet, you'll find that for the most part, it was about talking to the new guys, and it was kind of formatted where it was like the people listening and I were all sitting around at coffee talking radios and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I find it a little, uh, 
don't know, disconcerting or disheartening that these guys who came in the same way a lot of people came in, which is basically they went and got a book, they memorized the questions and took the test, and even more so as they've gradually lowered what it takes to get in, you know, I got, I'll make no qualms about it. I memorized the technician book. After I got in, I started to learn the stuff that went with, uh, uh, oh crap, general and advanced. And I probably, at the time that I got off the air back in, back around 2000 for a couple years, probably could have walked in and took the advanced or the uh, extra test because I knew what a ground station was and libration fading and all this other stuff that they had in the test at that time for satellites and moon bounce and that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to go go over go way over your head talking to you about this stuff because well, like I said, there's a lot of stuff further down the pole. You know, there's a lot of guys out there I don't even think can figure out the uh, resonant frequency of a quarter a quarter uh, quarter wave antenna at whatever frequency. You know, they may have learned the formula to take the test, but a lot of them probably don't remember it. So uh, this kind of brings us over to the next thing which segues into the next thing. And actually, I'm going to do them backwards. But let me finish by saying, you know, I consider myself old-time Elmer, and I consider my number one job in amateur radio to teach other ham radio operators and help them move along. You know, that's my job. MCOM's my job. Traffic, moving uh, message traffic's my job. All this stuff's my job. And in return, I get to have the fun of talking to other radio operators, whether it's on DMR, HR, uh, sideband. So, as I was saying, there was something else I wanted to talk about in this particular episode, and that is everybody's losing their mind right now because the FCC may start charging us for license renewals. Well, I'm not a big fan of that idea. And I say that because, not because I don't want to get up off of, I guess I, they were talking about 50 bucks, because 50 bucks over 10 years is easy enough to save up in your piggy bank. But one fella I saw uh, in one video was talking about, you know, the cost of becoming a radio operator. Now, I'm not a big fan of the uh, vanity licensing system either because there's a lot of people running around with calls out there that really don't deserve them. And that's my personal opinion. Uh, mostly because they have call signs that are not conducive with their class, and I don't know how that happened. 
and there's some out there that cast a bad light on people who had those licenses or those call signs before but have become silent keys. I was looking up my father. My father had two extra class calls and one of them is taken but the other one's still available. Uh, two, two or three Elmers that I was really were really fond of their call signs are still available even because they're kind of weird uh, not necessary well one of them is has a K and a 5 in it and then everything else is vowels uh, K K E 508 Ed Youngblood I sure do miss him so we're talking about 50 bucks, but this guy was making a valid point. You buy your study materials. You know, that's going to be 20, 25, 30, 35 bucks. I'm not sure what a copy of the question pool will cost nowadays. And then you're going to pay whatever the fee is for testing nowadays. And I will admit to having been a VE, but I haven't served at a test session in a long, long time. So now you're in for that money. Then you have to throw down 50 bucks for your license. If you want a hard copy of your, of your license, which I always like to have an actual FCC printed copy of my license so I can do what I'm supposed to do, which is stick it in a frame and display it at my station. Uh, Y'all go back and look at the regs, it's in there. And the watermark paper, it, it just looks better. So between the two, just the uh, license fee initial license fee and the printed copy of your license is a hundred bucks. Then you add study materials, then you add testing fees. And then if you want a vanity call, another 50 bucks. So getting into the hobby would be more difficult if this comes to pass. We, we always have threats like this of some kind or another, and some of them pass, most of them pass. Occasionally one takes, but I think there'll be enough outcry simply because, um, I don't know about a, bunch, a lot of the newer guys that haven't been back on air to see what kind of participation is, and with the fact that the ARRL has made it very difficult to become an Aries member now. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think I talked about that on another radio adventures. They have uh, actually gotten that where, you know, I didn't have to do that much. We have races in Dallas County and Aries in the outlying counties. I didn't have to go through that much crap to join races. In fact, I filled a, did a fingerprint card, took a picture, and was in good standing with the guy that ran the races organization in the city that I was a member in. 
and I was in the door. I took it upon myself to train diligently at NTS. I was a digital net manager for them and other things. Uh, I hold a brass pounder medallion, which a lot of folks can't, don't get anymore. I could send traffic CW. I could send it phone. I could send it digital. But, and, you know, when the uh, emergency radio, what is it, amateur radio emergency communication courses came out, I paid, I threw the money down and took them. I also took four or five courses over at FEMA because everything was, it was the big deal at the time was not the National Emergency Response System, it was the other one, ICS, Incident, uh, Incident Command System, and all this stuff that I did on my own. And now, ARL is requiring all that stuff for you to be an ARIES member. Now, who the, there ain't a whole lot of people out there going to join ARIES if they have to go through that much crap. Because I don't know if they changed the rules at the league, or they just started requiring this, this stuff. But at one time, all you had to be was a licensed radio amateur with a radio and ready to help, and you were ARIES. You know, and that's the, th the, the thing I'm getting at is that if you rate, put all these fees on there, why did you drop the, code, the Morse code requirement? If you're going to add all this stuff on to being an ARIES member for the guys who want to do emergency communications, MCOM, they want to be there to help when there's a hurricane or an earthquake or... Uh, forest fires, or anything. If you're going to do all this stuff, well, then that defeats the purpose of why they said bring in the codeless license and drop in the uh, novice class and the advanced class and all this other stuff, which was to bring people into the hobby. And now the FCC and it seems like the ARRL uh, aren't concerned with that anymore. Well, okay, here's the thing that gets to me, and I told you I was going to make these guys famous, so here we go. There are a couple radio operators that uh, set up on the uh, South Texas DMR group, or a uh, talk group, and one of them's Rod, Kilo Charlie 5, Romeo Juliet Lima. And the other one is Florence, Whiskey Mike 6, uh, Victor. And I was sitting and listening to them one day. You know, I, set, I figured out how to get the radio to scan. So I'm scanning all these talk groups. I have uh, static in my hotspot. And boom, it lands on them. Okay. I stop at scan and sit there and listen for a little while. And they just kind of chatting back and forth and talking to each other, you know, the way, way good hams do from time to time. And then they got off on the subject of uh, 
DMR ain't real radio. Now we've heard that a lot and it kind of, in the case of us old guys who want to talk somebody to somebody on the air, not on the internet, um, we kind of lean that way because internet's fun, it's cool, you can talk to a million countries, but unless they've changed the rules, I don't think you can get any awards for it that can prove up your technical abilities and stuff. Uh, I used to kind of, we, me and this guy that was a heavy DXer over Mesquite used to have this healthy little competition. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an out and out full competition. It was just kind of one up in each other a little bit. And Gary, Gary had a big DX station. He had a couple giant beams up on a mass on a, uh, tower with rota rotor and he had a setup in his ham shack that all it did was monitor the uh, uh, oh doggone it uh, the spotter stuff out on the internet where people uh, and a DX cluster that's it where uh, he could keep up with the DX cluster and in his case he picked it up over packet radio over there and he had big gun radios and a big old amplifier and he had worked all the countries that he could and all the DXCC entities. He had uh, worked all continents. He had done all this stuff and we would argue all the time over his big gun station versus my station. My station at the time Sorry, I was getting a little parched. My station at the time was a Kenwood TS440S. And it was hooked into a switch box. And out of the switch box came uh, coaxes for a 40 meter dipole, a 20 meter dipole, a 15 meter dipole and a 10 meter vertical uh, AR-10, a Ringo, uh, big old giant Ringo Ranger. So I'm maxing out at around 100 watts. Oh yeah, I forgot the tuner because sometimes you know it'd get a little wet or a bird be sitting on the wire or something and. It, you know, the SWR would go off a little bit, power power would go down a little. Anyway, so I had this 100 watt radio, and I just remembered I used to do uh, used to do uh, oh god, 3905 Century Club's 160 meter net off a chain link fence that was in my backyard with a 100 watt radio. Now. He would get in there, and I would hear him in a couple of contests and stuff, and I always worked contests because I wasn't a contester, but I wanted to pick up the stations. You know, pick them up for 1010 or pick them up for uh, 
worked all states or something like that. I worked some all states and worked all states nets for a long time. One of them being 3905 Century Club. And he would get in there. I'd hear him. He's blasting away with that, that big, big old station. And I'd go in there right behind him a lot of times and work the same station. Because in my case, and this is the way I felt, in my case, I could work the stations on 100 watt that he was using 1500 watts and all this big gun equipment because I had some techniques down. And at some point, I may, I don't know if I did it on resident frequency at some point, I may come back and revisit that. But, you know, that's the whole point. Us guys, all older guys, we like to do it on air. So I have digressed again. Let me get back on subject or roll around the subject. So I'm listening to these folks talk and they got on the subject that uh, somebody had said to them that DMR ain't real radio. Well, okay. No, it's not. Uh, because unless you're talking to, through them radio to radio or talking to them radio repeater radio, which even using the repeater is kind of not real radio. Um, if you're talking through the internet to get to them, at some point there may be a situation where you're needed to communicate and the internet is down. Uh, in the case of our internet out here where I live, the, uh, the signals are passed from a receiving ground station here kind of close to where I live now. I had the same cable company when I lived closer into Dallas, uh, probably 30, 35 miles closer in or 20, 25 miles closer in. And the one thing that uh, we had an issue with is the same issue I had when I had, uh, when I was paying for satellite through, well, I had both the big ones at one point, Dish at one point and uh, the other one, the two big ones. And the same problem I had with them was the same problem I had with this cable company because they were spreading out to four or five different cities in this part of North Texas off of one ground station. And that was every time that there was an extremely heavy rain, the satellite would go away. And the same thing happens with my uh, cable provider now. Now in the case of the satellites that I had, uh, did not have internet at that at the time of having one company and at the time of having the other one I had a separate company that did my internet that was hardline so now I have my internet through my cable company and every time we get a heavy rain no TV no internet now that's just a natural occurrence and you're going to lose internet. But the comment that stuck in my craw with these two people was, well, that's because it was on the internet, another one says. Well, you know what? If 
the internet goes down, we're going to have bigger problems on whether, uh, than whether we can get on the radio or not. Well, this kind of marks those two folks to me as people that thought it was cool to be radio operators, so they got their license. And they don't understand that in the case of MCOM, uh, and I've, free, I've actually given more than one presentation on this over the years, that in the case of MCOM, we don't care if the internet's down because we have to communicate. And this was brought up more than once on training nets and stuff like that I've participated in over the years. And we've even trained that way. I wrote a piece of training for Mesquite Races at one point where we went ahead and started the net. And for those of y'all who have never heard of Races, Races is like, okay, Aries is kind of run by the ARRL. It's run by a bunch of corporate guys and amateur radio operators. Races, on the other side, other hand, is directly tied to the city, county, state government. And the criteria are a lot higher to become races, background checks, all that good stuff. And um, so we were going through this training one night, and the training was simple. Uh, we would call the net. We would go through the preamble of the net. We would start check-ins. We would get about halfway through check-ins, and then the control op would shut the repeater off. Now, once the repeater is shut off, this is where national traffic system comes in. This is where all states nets come in. This is where you learn to do things without the technology. And in the case of repeaters, I can even, I know now, I mean, I, every day I deal with repeaters that are hooked into an internet connection so that repeaters that are too far away from each other to hear each other are able to communicate with each other. Uh, I link up, I live in, like I said, I live in Terrell, Texas, which is about 35 miles east of downtown Dallas. Uh, Tyler, Texas is almost 80 miles east of Dallas, Texas. And I will get on the D-Star handheld on the hotspot for D-Star and link to the repeater in Tyler, Texas and talk to people. But if there's widespread internet outage or there's a problem with one of those repeaters, then that link is dead. And even in the case of repeaters that, analog repeaters that are working, even if they have humongous coverage, like one that used to be in downtown Dallas on the tallest building, you have things like rain attenuation, lightning strikes, all that kind of stuff. So. Back to the races net, we failed a repeater. So I stopped because I'm the one that wrote the training so I knew what was going on. Uh, I stopped, I got on the simplex frequency, the output frequency that would have been for the repeater. And I made an announcement, I told them, 
Uh, it appears the repeater has failed. We're going to continue to take check-ins. Please put your radio on the output frequency of the repeater and put it in simplex mode. And we will be relying on some of you to relay, relay stations that cannot be heard by net control. At this time, I had an antenna up where I was living in a suburb of Dallas and could talk to the EOC on 50 watts at a city on the far corner of the county from me on simplex so I was going to hear most of you guys anyway and we had to fumble through taking check-ins without a repeater with guys that weren't familiar with their equipment which uh, could not follow instructions a lot of times on how to check into the net even though we checked in the same way every time and this is the kind of stuff that can happen. And in the case of, well, if the internet fails, we're going to have bigger problems? No. If the internet fails, it's going to be our time to step up. Because we have other ways to communicate. And that's one of the reasons we are here. And one of the reasons they really should consider charging us 50 bucks just to get a license or renew a license and this is because they get the uh, government city state uh, city state national they get a tremendous amount of free trained radio personnel with their own equipment when they need it and part of the ICS training back then was because the government was worried about something called interoperability. Interoperability is that you can have a guy from the FBI standing next to a guy from, uh, I don't know, um, FEMA. They can be standing right next to each other and they can't talk to each other on the radio because there's no consistency in the way they get their equipment. There's no planning on that. So the link is us. I spent a whole night, one whole night working uh, traffic for the Loma Prieta earthquake. They call it that, something else. Uh, the common name for it is Northridge. The Northridge earthquake in California. I spent a week working eight or so hour shifts, uh, communicating during Katrina on an HF rig. Um, I did, was not involved in the shuttle recovery, but I've heard stories about how they were having issues uh, keeping communications open just between us, not only us having issues, but even the people in charge of the actual recovery having bigger issues communication-wise. And that's the thing. I said I was going to make these folks famous. Y'all remember. Florence and Rod.
KC5 RJL and WM6V because they're a perfect example of what's causing us to have a problem with the government. I understand that big business, uh, you know, wants our, they want our frequencies. Uh, Bill Gates tried to take our big chunk of our 440 band or all of our 440 band at one point because he wanted to put a bunch of satellites like Elon Musk is right now. Elon Musk didn't come after our frequencies. Um, there's a lot of you guys aren't old enough to remember this one. Uh, UPS decided they wanted a chunk of our 220 band and the FCC took it from us and was going to give it to UPS. And then UPS decided they didn't want those frequencies. They wanted some different frequencies. And when we lost that piece of the 220 band, we never got it back. It went up for, went up for auction. So we can't be complacent. And they are really not paying attention to what they're doing because they're shooting themselves in the foot as my grandfather used to say, because sooner or later, we're gonna have another huge hurricane destroy one of the more populated areas of the United States. We're gonna have a tornado outbreak like we had, had I guess about a decade ago, where there was a path of destruction from this part of Texas way off into uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, and they're going to need us. But once they give it away, and once they sell it, and somebody's using it, we're never going to get it back. One of the points I heard made the other day was uh, that we've already lost Spectrum. We have, uh, but most of you guys will never miss it. And what the fellow was talking about was uh, 4G and 5G uh, phone frequencies. Uh, that, among other things, and that's because everything above 900 megahertz at one point was our spectrum. Uh, we had run of the bands up past 900 megahertz. But now, the businesses are deciding they need these higher frequencies. Now, this is a good thing for a guy like me because <laughs> I like VHF. Out here in this part of Texas, it's great. You know, up in Dallas, buildings, all that stuff, okay, 440 is a little better, 70 centimeters is a little better. But for the most part, I've done fantastic and amazing things on VHF. So... If they're taking those higher frequencies up there in the in the uh, gigahertz range ranges, well, means they're gonna leave my two meters alone. Even though people don't, I, I don't even know people buy two meter radios anymore. And I have talked for some time, and I hope that my phone is still recording. I probably need to reach down here in my pocket and see. I had, at one time, 
Yeah, I had at one time a uh, piece of software on here that uh, I ended up having to make three different, have to record something three different times so that I could get a 30 minute episode. And luckily this one appears to still be clicking. Wow, this is getting about resonant frequency length. So, let me try and ramp all this down and get us pointed in the right direction on the uh, licensing thing. The FCC can do what they want. Congress can do what they want. And I'm sure they will have to do some linguistic gymnastics to be able to start charging us for this but it isn't something we need to worry about our bands are always under threat that's why we should be AWRL members not because we like the AWRL or most of the shit they do but because they are our legal arm in Congress in Washington AWRL they may not be worse crap for a lot of stuff because most of the guys running the thing they got way more money than a poor old slob like me that had to sell a handful of stuff to buy a $200 DMR radio. And most of you guys are the same way. In fact, a lot of you guys that have hung with me over the years, you wouldn't be hanging, hanging with me if you didn't know I spoke the truth. And radio, Richard's Radio Adventures is a whole different thing than Resonant Frequency. And but either way, I don't lie to you guys. I try not to bullshit you. And I'm telling you, where the videos are concerned, I'm going to handle that the same way. I've got to get knowledgeable, knowledgeable enough so I can present it in a way that is conducive to the new guys learning. Where the charging us for our renewals, it ain't going to be no big thing for me. I can collect up 50 bucks over 10 years, you know, it's not that hard, but I see the hobby diminishing, I have watched it diminish over time, at one time we had three quarters of a million ham radio operators in the U.S., I don't know how many we have now, I think it would be safe for me to say that we probably don't have that many, and the guys that are newer, there's a whole lot of them out there that probably will never touch an HF radio or a piece of equipment that'll run one of the digital modes. And I'm talking about digital data modes. Um, after all this time, the three digital radio systems, three or four digital radio systems that are out there for amateur radio operators, none of them have consolidated down into one. And shoot, there's guys out there running APRS, which is, all it does is tell people where you are. Uh, there are some, some software where you send messages with it, but when it came around, I wasn't a big fan of it. But at this point, packet radio's kind of gone by the wayside, and that was one of my loves in the hobby. But the whole point is, you've got guys like these two folks down in South Texas I was talking about, 
that they think, uh, eh, well, we're just chatting on the radio. If the internet goes down, we're going to have bigger problems. We got the FCC knocking at the door because you got big business. They've got big business, big business stand behind them. We got the ARRL that is going to do what's best to keep them in business, which is defend us as best they can. And the world has changed. And you new guys, I don't know how y'all going to keep it up. But I will tell you this. This turned out to have a little gripe section in it, like uh, I said I was going to get away from. This is not alcohol-fueled because I've had to stop that because I have bigger considerations going on. But I want y'all to go out there and be the best radio operators you can be. If you can, write your congressman and protest about uh, the FCC trying to charge us fees. They may not have time for it because they're all fighting about money right now. Go get yourself a hotspot if you're on DMR, D-Star, Fusion, uh, P25. What else will this thing do? It'll do something else. Because these little cheap uh, hotspots, they're kind of fun. However, I'm not going to bet on them for communications in a disaster. But they're kind of fun. And they're inexpensive. And a little hint for you guys that go out there and buy one of these little little black jobbies. I think they call them uh, jumbo spots. Come out of China. Pi, it's a pie. Uh, pie what is it? A Raspberry Pi Zero with an MMDVM hat, and there's a memory card goes in it for the operating system and that kind of stuff. Um, if you do buy one of these little Chinese hotspots, pull the pull the memory card out, and look at it, and if it's not a quality one, replace it because that's where I'm hearing most of the complaints coming from. And if you guys want to talk to me, want to talk to me on DMR, uh, when I have the radio on, for the most part, I hang out on 3148. I'm still trying to figure out where else I might find some folks to talk to that aren't just out there playing uh, HF radio on the worldwide uh, talk group actually want to have some conversations with substance, talk to some people about operating radios, working on antennas, uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, Y'all let me know. Now I've got to go back over here and make this computer wake back up so I can give you all those addresses again. Just one more time before we go. And uh, it'll take me a minute to get over here. Oh my God, it woke up all by itself. Uh, one thing I've been trying to tell the wife is this apartment we moved into out here in Terrell, I think it's haunted. You know, that's just my opinion on it, but I think it's haunted. Because weird stuff happens and I can't figure out why. Uh, I got a, a light fixture that has a mind of its own. So, 
with all of that and wow we are resonant frequency length here i'm gonna go ahead and cut y'all loose or at least i'll talk to y'all later let me give you all the friggin addresses before we go come visit us on the website at www.rfpodcast.info or send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. That's Kilo Bravo 5, Juliet Bravo Victor at gmail.com. On Facebook, you can come follow my personal account, but I really think, well, let's put it this way. If you're sensitive, you probably don't want to. But if you decide you do want to, uh, that's going to be www.facebook.com slash um, KB5JBV, my call sign. The better places to go are www.facebook.com slash groups slash resonant frequency. One word, resonant frequency, what you want your antenna to be at when you try and transmit on it. The other group is www.facebook.com slash groups slash Elmer DFW, E-L-M-E-R-D-F-W. Uh, that one, we have a whole lot more discussions, uh, resonant frequency. I'm hoping we can get some traffic going there. And if you insist on getting on Twitter, and I will warn you now, I don't check it very often. Uh, every once in a while I'll roam around a little bit when I go over and post an episode of the show. That's going to be www.twitter.com slash kb5jbb. Now you got all that information and now you know to go over to YouTube. I guess I probably need to get the URL for the YouTube channel and get it on there. Uh, we'll do that next time. And uh, I want you guys to go out there and do your radio. I want you to consider uh, the second half of what we talked about, but more importantly, I want you to consider the first part where I was talking about the hotspot and stuff and the fact that people talk over your head. If they talk over your head, it's because they're trying to prove that they're smarter than everybody else. And it turns out most of the time that uh, they're not half as smart as everybody else. So with that, y'all uh, take it easy. I'm sorry about this one going so long. I just, I've been sitting around ruminating on this stuff for a while. So take care of your family. My wife's going to be coming home in a few days, so uh, I'm definitely going to take care of her. I sure have missed that one. Can y'all get in touch with me? I'll even take, I'll even take suggestions on, you know, what we need to talk about on this radio event. So, 73 guys, I'm sorry, 73 guys, yeah, I don't know if I did an episode on 73, but we might. Um, well, let's just put it this way. Y'all be careful, take care of your family get out and do some radio, meet some other radio operators, I know it's hard with the COVID, but at the very least you can meet them on air, and with that, 
my name is Richard, KB5JBB, and I will talk to y'all next time. We gotta go. Share the precious time.